Hello, and welcome back to the Animal Friendly Podcast. Today we're buzzing off to County Wicklow in the southeast of Ireland, where we can find the very first bee sanctuary in the world. This is located on 55 acres in the townland of Coolafancy, which sounds like something out of an Irish musical, but it is a real place. I'll be talking to Paul Hendrick about the problems and threats that our native wild bees are facing and how we can all help to restore safe habitat, provide food and stop poisoning bees, as well as our own environment. He explains how to recognise when a queen bee is saying, go away, and also how to help queen bees that may be struggling and, in doing so, save exponentially more bees. We talk about farming and gardening and why we need to let nature come back. This episode also contains a great idea for a sustainable micro-business. So if you're into gardening and growing, you might want to keep your ears open. I started by asking Paul, what's the idea behind having a wild bee sanctuary? We're here to save bees, but it, it encompasses, on, 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 on one level, it's a really simple, straightforward mission, but it encompasses so much. There's a, there's a lot more involved than when we when we enter the space, I suppose, that we realised naively we can't enter the space thinking this is going to be like a certain thing and it turned out to be many things that it wasn't. So it, it, it's been interesting, um, uh, scary, um, inspiring, I suppose. Well, well, everything. I guess I read on the website that you started off with organic and then vegan and kind of in steps and steps. So yeah. do you want to kind of start from the start and say how did... Basically, um, we, we bought a farm, small farm in the Wicklow Hills back in 2012. Um, my wife came from an agriculture background. She, I think she was brought up on a farm, a mixed farm up in North Wicklow. I didn't. I was from originally from Black Rock, a suburb in Dublin, and kind of moved gradually toward, towards the towards out into the country as as my life progressed. Um, I was in I was in college. I dropped out playing a rock and roll band. Uh, that was my first love. Um, didn't work out the way 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 I hoped it was. So I kind of spent my twenties. So I, I say wasted doing that, but other people say no, it wasn't wasted. It was like it brought. I think it brought it honed a lot of the skills which I'm using now for to advocate for bees, um, unknowingly or unwittingly. It kind of kind of gave me that knowledge and that ability. Um, we we um we basically we were we were heading off to France. We we we'd kind of sold up, and we'd, it was just after the the whole, the whole Celtic Tiger thing. And we were heading off to France. We were going to disappear into the countryside and open up a jeep business and just um lived a good life in France, I suppose. And um we stumbled across this this space, and it just called to us. Um, that's the only way we put it. It was it was it's down a, a half or half a kilometer um laneway. There's no road frontage on it, and it's kind of. The lane's full. It's it's famous for the amount of potholes and it's 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 in your inability to transverse it. To be honest with you, and we get it then, but then you get to the end of this lane. It just opens up into these views of the of the Wicklow Hills, looking back over the Wicklow Hills. And what we've it, it kind of I suppose it's there's a certain um, peacefulness that it, it, to to the place. And we we thought maybe that's just us, my wife Clarice and myself. And but we found when people visit, they get it too. And it, it has this um, special effect on people. Um, what we say is that when people come and visit and spend time with us and spend time on the space, they leave wanting to be better people. That's, yeah. that's the only way we put it. They, they, they actually genuinely, and that, that's from all walks of life, from CEOs back down, you know, anyone who comes on and spends time, because it, it makes you spend time. It makes you makes you kind of go easy, forget about your phone and just kind of be in that moment. And I think it's, we, we used to put it down to the, the space and the views and the, the fact that people don't get to access farmland, which it was originally. Yeah. But I think it's also, we've come to kind of, I suppose, own that it's our nature too. We kind of, we're, we're very open. We wear our, our hearts on our sleeves and our, our ambition on our sleeves. And that kind of 
people kind of want that now. People people are calling out yeah. for something that's honest and pure and true. And that's what we try and do with it. And it, I know that sounds very kind of um, aspirational, I suppose, and kind of who might say that. But that's what we've fallen into. We didn't say out. Like I, I worked in sales after I was I left rock and roll and tried to do the straightforward you know, career thing. I just didn't suit my nature. And I kind of, I suppose I was, I was uninspired for the years in between. And then when we, when we, when we started doing this, I suppose that inspiration came back Um, purpose um, mission and um, for good or for bad. That's what we do now. That's what, that's what it is. So basically that's, that's why kind of my way around. We, we basically bought the farm. I'll go, I'll go through the kind of how we got to be a bee sanctuary. We bought the farm. We left it set out or rented out to, um, uh, local farmer for the first year we were, we were standing there watching um him spray crops nice. and um just take as much grass off it as possible for cattle like really kind of just with no care for it and we went no no this is wrong you know we did not when we bought it at first we kind of thought the space would be nice for people to come as a sanctuary for people uh, but we didn't i suppose have the confidence or know how to go about that or whether there's a demand for it. so we kind of when we saw him that i went off and did a horticultural course just a kind of a part-time one just so we said we start doing something with it ourselves mm-hmm. and um, on that course, I came across. We went organic very quickly on the farm. Right. Um, that takes two years for it to become certified. And while I was on the course, I came across vegan organic growing, which is growing without any animal inputs, without um, you know chemicals. Yes. So it's, it's certified organic plus it's one extra. It's vegan, and that just kind of I know a lot of people on the course that were that kind of they just kind of passed over. And I went, that's interesting. So we were setting up to be um, back in twenty seventeen a. Uh, I suppose a salad and veg and fruit supplier to vegan outlets and vegan restaurants. That was our our plan back then. Um, because what we realised was when vegans have their meat free burger and they put lettuce on it, that lettuce is often grown with with the use of chemicals yeah. or the animal manure used to grow it. So it's it's not clean. So there, and there is a cleaner way of doing it. That's that's possible. So we said we'll we'll set up a, a salad business and we'll supply restaurants and boxes and stuff like that to people and. We put about an acre and a half of crops in the ground and then went off on the first holiday we'd had in since we bought the place I think, five years previously. Came back and the deer had been in, the rabbits had been in and basically cleaned out. Really so I found myself sitting in late summer, um, early autumn out in the, the front field here. I go, what am I going to do? Because we, we would have cost a fortune to put a yeah. deer fence up. We have a huge amount of deer come through here. And to put a deer fence up around the whole place because the fort. I was kind of it was against what we bought the place. We bought the place because of the biodiversity of it. I kind of skipped a bit there. The farmer that owned it had no kids. He sold it or he left it to his nephew who had kind of broke the farm up. And then um there was three brothers owned what we own now at 55 acres. And they'd set it up for hunting, for hunting pheasants and for, for duck shooting. And so they'd kind of expanded ponds in the wetland area. They planted a load of trees, which we saw as this was great, but then they were selling it. And I suppose it was so much of the land was not what you call farm productive it was it was basically it, it had been it had been left go wild there was huge ditches there was like I say trees planted it was a big wetland area which it was of no value to farmers farmers yeah but it were kind of there was a reluctance to buy so and we, and what we loved about the place was that wild yeah. we saw that the, the value of that so we um i was sitting in the field then 2017 what am i going to do we didn't want to start keeping the the biodiversity the wild of the nature out and fighting it so, and as I was sitting there, the, the, I noticed it was just a buzzing. The more longer I sat, there was a buzzing around me. And it was basically the, the um, bees, bumblebees, and the clover all around me in the field. And we knew bees were in trouble. Like, we, we were we'd be kind of quite tuned into plantary issues. But I kind of just, for some, had this eureka moment. I just went for to around. That's what we do. I walked into Carrie's in the kitchen and said, we'll turn the place into a bee sanctuary. And she didn't kick me out. She's <laughs> great. You're and, lucky. Um, <laughs> Maybe this is your first time hearing about such a thing as a bee sanctuary. And this is because, unbeknownst to themselves at the time, 
they had come up with a completely original idea. But we, did, we didn't know what that was, you know, it was just an idea. So um, we had to kind of explore and dig into what that would be because what we found out was that we, were, we, we would be the first one on the, on the planet. No one had decided to put land aside for native wild bees. But I say native wild bees, I'm talking bumblebees, salty bees, not honeybees. Honeybees are not endangered. They're not part of... They're part of, part of the problem. They're actually becoming part of the problem for, for native wild bees. Um, there's, there's an argument over that, but I would very much come down the side of they're part of the problem. So we, we'd be the first, we'd kind of discover we'd be the first ones to do it. And that's with extensive searching. And every time we'd find what we thought was a sanctuary, it'd be sanctioned then, no, they're selling honey, they're selling honey product, they're yeah. selling you know, wax or something like that. So it wasn't a sanctuary. It was a business that was saying, which is good for nature in, in areas, but it's not the, the essence of the business or the essence of the the project wouldn't be to save bees. It was it was kind of a byproduct of yes. of, of selling something. So um, we kind of sat on it. We did our research. We sat on it over the over the winter in 2017. And I think the first time I said it out loud, I was at a, a local business center in Arklow here. And I kind of when you go in the morning and people say, "What do you do?" You introduce yourself to the, to the to people. And it was it was a, a search engine optimization course something I was on. And um, I, I said, I'll say, I said, we're starting. You did say organic farmer or, and I probably kind of did watch what they eat for the day and kind of apologized. They weren't eating organically. And this time I went, I'll go for it. I just went, um, we were set up a bee sanctuary, wild bee sanctuary. The place cheered. And I kind of went, no, oh, I didn't expect that. And then I kind of, maybe I imagined it, you know, maybe. It was, and then at the, the the woman who was hosting the, the course came to me at lunchtime and said, did you see that reaction? I went, yes. Yeah. And that, that was, that kind of gave us kind of its, um, I suppose, belief that it, there was something in it there was something we could do here that people wanted this and then we kind of we approached this is the kind of negative side of, we approached the um the people we thought we weren't bee experts like we we yes. do like know a bumblebee from a wasp but that was that was as far as it went you know and if uh, i suppose before that there's one the house i'd never be flapping it out one yeah. gonna <laughs> no, like like most people because we don't yeah. we don't know and um um we went to the people we thought would help us with it we just approached it. We're setting up a not-for-profit social enterprise. Uh, we've got the first native wild bee sanctuary on the planet. It's 55 acres, which is quite considerable. It's a small farm, mm. but it's, it's around 31 football pitches, you know, so it's, it's big enough. And we said to them, listen, would, would you give us advice? Would you come and help us to make sure we do the right things and don't do anything wrong? Because we know the place is naturally good, but there's more. And the response was no. And that kind of opened up, uh, we made us dig quite deeply into what what goes on in the environmental space and that kind of scares us but we just decided that we're just going to go and do what we're doing yeah. we're just going to yeah. we're going to forge ahead the, the people want this whether environmentalists want it or going to support us on it we'll go ahead and we'll do it and that's been it since so it's been it's been an interesting journey since we've kind of we've we've weathered storms we've had um it, it's one of those where one week you get good news one week you get bad news yes. you just, but you got to have a certain resilience to to keep going at it and I suppose that resilience comes from we live in it and when we step outside our door, we see it and we see what goes on around us, which is bad outside the sanctuary, literally outside the gate, what happens around us. And that drives us forward. We've, we've four kids, um, the planet's in trouble, nature's in huge trouble, and it needs a little bit of pureness and honesty, I think, to, to kind of on its side. And that's what we, we try to bring to it. So that's a good segue. We should say, why, what, what do you guys do? at the sanctuary and and what is what do the bees need um we let nature be that mm -hmm. that's a, like i mean that that's a very simple part i mean we, we can the land here was obviously it's been it's been altered by human activity over over the, the generations um we don't kind of call it rewilding i know rewilding everyone talks about rewilding it's the buzzword for nature now i don't like it i don't like stuff that seems fatty and a lot of the connotations of rewilding here i think are, are aren't good 
I understand people need something to grasp and they, they need a nice word. We, we, we just see it as kind of, I suppose, restoring, reviving nature, um, giving it a helping hand. It, it's easy to step back and go, let, just let it go wild. And it will, nature will recover. The best thing you can do is just leave it. But we kind of say we, we need to kind of give her a hand as well. Like an example is we, we'd, um, I think it was three, four years ago, we grew a field of sunflowers and it was just amazing. And it was, it, there was a reason for it because our, our soil had been so rich because I'd been feeding it set up for something else and, and wildflowers grow better in, in, um, less, less, less fertile soil. So we, we kind of, we put in crops to try and weaken the soil. We've been doing that. Um, so what, what we do is we basically, we go gentle with the place. We like we we. Uh, I always say when, when we bought the place, as, as you as you drove into the yard, which is a mess, a tangle of brambles going up into trees and everything. It looked like and most people would come in with the mini digger, and just cleared out. Yeah. Like we got to have a tidy, and we didn't. Followed the following spring, um, this rambling rose appeared going like twenty meters up into the trees. That would have been gone because yeah. we wouldn't have seen. You know, so it's that gentle approach. Our ditches are like twenty, thirty meters wide with brambles, and that's where the magic is. That's where the, the bees are in under. That's where all the, the wildlife is. Um, we have the wetland area, which we haven't touched. Um, it was when we first came into the place. It, um, the guys had owned before they had five hundred ducks on it. They were rearing for shooting, so they they, they just they basically just let the ducks on the pond, feed them, and then the guys would come down from the city with their with their Rambo gear on, point the gun in the air, and shoot them out of the air. It wouldn't it wouldn't, it wouldn't even skill involved. So, but because of that, the the area was like it was just down to muck because there was too many ducks on on the area in the area. So it was just back to muck, and we just left it. And now it's twelve years later, and that's just like it's it's just mad what's going on down there. Like it's 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 just come back itself. Um, trees have grown like wildflowers. We find we discover more wildflowers every year that are that are coming back, and it's just by just literally just leaving it. You know, we we didn't touch it. On on the field side of things, say we're getting back to, we're trying to get back to that. We just have it all in meadow, but it's it's a process. Um, because we're we're advocating and because people expect certain things, we have to kind of show them pretty stuff as well. You know, because if, if you yes. show them the real nature as we call it they kind of go oh, it's, it's a bit boring you know so we have to so we're, we're kind of always trying to walk that tightrope between what is really really good and what people need to see and we we, we i think we, we, we've learned on the ground like say there's no, there's no set definition of what what we should do so we, we just kind of this year where we're putting in um, a couple of new meadows we're reseeding and then that gravel will never be touched again because we don't like turning the soil because it's bad for yes um, yeah. climate and everything else and for the soil so we're hoping to get back to a point where listen it's just meadows and we just let them let them be we take the cut off once a year and then we just you know there's but there's there's a lot of work involved in that and we found over with COVID as well um we were we were having we were setting up to have people down and bring tours through which we love doing but with COVID we kind of went more focused on digital and social media and that's where I think we have huge impact I mean I can spend and I love doing I can have 20 people through on a Saturday morning and spend three hours with them and show them everything and they connect um, but the alternative to that is why I spend an hour on a Saturday morning putting a thread up on Twitter. Um, sometimes I reach six million people and yeah. uh, that's worldwide and they, the message travels worldwide. So we always try to figure out where's, where's the best place for our energy at the moment. It seems digital because we're having a huge impact there. And it's, 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 um, we, it's, it's great to see when you have someone say in Jamaica, go, I've done, I've changed my garden in Jamaica because of what you're doing on a little farm in Ireland. And that's just, that's just crazy, you know, and I hate social media and I hate the whole digital thing. I wouldn't be on it. I was never on it before. The, we see the value in the it. Good we want, yeah. yeah, it's X and it's rotten and it's rancid, but we just go, we just put up the good stuff and put the right message out and just leave it there and let people do what they want with it. And we, we get a huge, hugely positive reaction to that. So I suppose it, 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 as a sanctuary, what it does is it, it, it represents people don't have to visit it. I always say like it's like Old Trafford for Man United fans. If you're, if you're a football fan, there's millions of Man United fans worldwide. Very few of them actually get to go to Old Trafford, but they know it's there. They know what it represents as for them as a team. Yeah. And that's what we do with here. Like it, it's here. 
it's pure, it's good, it's doing the right thing as much as we can. We make mistakes and we we mm. we, we own them, you know. But that that's what it is. So people can can kind of not every farm can be what can uh, be sanctuary like they can't yeah. but they can have a part of it that is um yeah. people we can inspire people to do that and just by being here like say we're not saying everyone has to be as, as pure as what we try to do but they, it gives them something to aspire to something yes. that's a little bit beyond what maybe other people are doing their core message is comprised of three actions for the bees namely one stop poisoning them two provide safe habitat and stop removing the habitat that's already there and number three, make sure they have food. I was curious about the different ways that they communicate this message, both practical and creative. Yeah, I, I think it's um, the fact that we both come, I mean, I, I, mean, I played in a rock and roll band, but I never saw myself as creative because I came from a sort of family where go and get a job in the bank. Yes, <laughs> That's a really yeah. job. She's a veterinary nurse, um, but she's a, a, a talented photographer. So we, we both Very. come from a creative background. So <laughs> therefore... We come at it, I think, from a different angle. We're not environmentalists. We're not ecologists. Um, we'd never take a bee and pin it to identify it. We'd go, can we identify it from here? No, we can't. We know it's there. That that gentleness and that kind of... So, and like, even, even when it comes down to... You know, if you talk to most people about bees, they'll start... The knowledgeable people or the, the people that, that study them, they, they can't help but tell you the bee's name in Latin. And our attitude to that is, like, you've lost 90% of your audience... It's a red arse bee. It's a red arse bumblebee. And people go, oh, God, most people go, they call it a red tail bumblebee because brain arse is a bit rude. You realize the value that because we say arse, people remember it. You know? And that's, <laughs> that's where the secret is. And that's where, that's where, so it, it's, 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 it's keeping it in, in the language of the people. Just, just, just being really simple about it and straightforward about it. Not trying to prove how intelligent we are because but I'm not well read on, on yes. this. I'm like COVID struck and we were here. We kind of realized we're not going to have people down. I started doing a thing on Twitter as it was then called the Be a Tree where I'd just take a B fact and put it up on Twitter every day at three o'clock. And <laughs> that, it took off. People, people loved it because it's just a one, like within what you put in a tweet, it's just a fact about bees. It could be that the fact that they've got four wings, not two, because people think they've got two, or they can fly as high as Mount Everest, but they don't. They technically can, but the highest they've ever, ever flown is 16,000 feet, feet up and in the wild, and Mount Everest is 29,000 feet, but they technically can't. But all these, there's all these scientific papers out there and all these studies that have been done that have only been read by the scientific community. Yeah. Doing this, I started dipping into them, finally I think of an interesting thing that I'd want to know about bees and then look up the science and then take that and just put it into a small fact, put it up on Twitter. And it's you know, that, and that, the, that's what works. The thing that you wrote about the queen bee has to make 6,000 flower visits a day. <laughs> yeah, just... You have to make people fall in love with bees. Yes. And people, people actually naturally have an affinity and they do love bees. And the ones that don't, don't even, don't just have them in tow properly, don't know it yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, to sit in... We had a um, an area of facilia out there a couple of years back, and I went down to sit in a, a, like a an area with bumblebees like all around you, and they'll land on you, and they're just, and they're just going about their business, and they're just not interested. They're not going to sting you. Yeah. The only time a, a bee will sting you, a bumblebee will sting you, is if you actually crush it, or you know, put your hand on it or pick up, say it's on the back of a bottle, and you need to go to squash. It. They don't want to. If they're if they're on a flower, they have this. Um, reaction if if you if you notice if you, if you go near a, a bumblebee and a flower she'll raise her middle leg and okay. that's a warning it's literally saying back off so wow. the, the middle leg will come up and that you're getting too close go away she doesn't want to sting you now if yeah. she can fly away she will but she could be tired or you know lack of energy so if she's kind of she put put there she's just busy busy fires she doesn't want you to go any closer if you persist sometimes the other leg will come up so you've got two legs up telling you to go away and then if you really persist they'll, what they can do is they'll flip over and show they're onto their back to show you their belly what they're doing is they're showing you this thing and they're saying listen if you keep I coming, I'm going to sting you. 
don't want to. I'm trying to warn you. So they, they're not, and it's, it's even when it comes to bees, people don't understand it's, it's only the females that can sting. Male male bees don't even have a stinger. It's um, and that's the sort of stuff that people don't know, you know. And and I think it's 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 too simple for the scientists. That's some yeah. people when they look for it, the next minute they're they're attached and they're connected, and that's what that's what we kind of that's where we come from on. And I suppose it's because we come from a creative background, a natural curiosity from a, from an everyman point of view rather than from a scientific point of view. When you have a group. Like, what would be a typical day if you have a group of people coming to visit? Do you have a kind of set program and you do, you um, do we, talking or, or visual or how does it? We we basically don't do slideshows. We don't do anything <laughs> like that. So many slideshows and like I, 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 we need to we need to excite people about nature. We need to we need to get them interested. So what we do if someone if, if we have a, a tour through here, we'd like to say we take 15, 20 people at most and take them down. We'll introduce them. We'll have a chat, and then we just bring them. It takes about two hours to walk around the place um, to the to different habitats, and we just chat. Yeah. You know, like I'm talking now. We don't. There's no set there, and then we come back and say, "Listen, go and have a picnic. Sit there in the meadow for a while for yourself." For yourself. And it's usually around three hours altogether. You know, and it's, and they go away like they've, they've they've connected. They've been there. I mean, there's a difference in learning about it in a in a lecture theater or in a in a hotel conference yes. room or something like that, and seeing pictures and actually just sitting there and. I suppose we 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 have a love for for nature. That's um, when a tree comes down and we hear them cutting a tree, it hurts us. Anyone hurts the them. feeling, yeah. And we see it so much around us. I mean, I, during COVID, it was there was this big um, oh, everyone's reconnected with nature. Not around these parts, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> they took the time off to cut trees down, to cut back hedgerows, to destroy Just, nature. Yeah, and it's and we sit there and we watch it and. Um, we really, really makes us realize like we can protect within the boundary. We even have to watch our boundaries here because they'll come the, the weekend. We, we we bought the place landowner next door, cut a big tree down on the, on the on our, on our boundary just because market is territory, you know. And then it's kind of like go away, you know, just oh, just yeah. pop on it. Having said that, we're not. We realize we have to engage with these people. So there's no point in us talking to people that love nature. The, 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 it's, it's talking to the people that don't. It's not that they don't. Love, it's it's they've. they've I don't know what it is. I'd love to see it. One, one thing that, that's always kind of interested me was specifically the hedge cutting. People talk about what's done and why why people aren't uh, prosecuted for it and they, they show the damage. And there's no, I've never come across any, anyone's done studies into the psychology of it. And I, I've, I have my own theories, honestly. It's, it's like we've nothing else to do this week. We've got the machine and we're going to pay for it. And I know people have to earn and stuff, but it's, it's uh, and there's also a certain kind of, listen, I'm doing it just to spite you. Yeah, they're, they're just bullying involved. We, we, we sell bullying, and we we come across it in the countryside. Like we, people talk about community and how like everything's community is so important. Um, yes, but if we're honest about it, community works as long as people, certain people stay quiet when there's because there's always the loud one, there's always the bully, and as long as yeah. that person appears, community works. If someone stands up in community and says, "Well, actually, no," community breaks down quite quickly. Yeah. That's what we've yeah. found. And we find that from people living on housing estates in suburbia, they want to put in, the, they leave, they, they want to put some wildflowers in the grass in the in the public space, and someone down the road goes, "What are you doing?" and cuts them out. We've had that so many people, people, uh-huh. people put in, do the, let their garden go wild, like, like, a little bit messy, like it's supposed to be, and the neighbours are literally complaining, like literally bullying them, saying, "We don't want that beside us." You know, and we call it, it's a stealth bullying. It's a kind of a subtle kind of. But you're it's not, a pressure. It's a peer pressure kind of thing. You're the messy mean, garden. Yeah, part of our advocacy here is to support those people. Say, well, no, you're right. You know, Dan, there's a space that will tell you to write, and we're, we're we're getting a certain amount of, I suppose, we're we're getting better known, and we're, it's what we're doing is working. So we're getting more publicity from it. Yeah, a big a big part of the advocacy and and what we have to do to address it is, I mean, we can all do great things in our garden, and I can do good things out in our street, but 
the reality is the majority of land is owned by farmers. Mm. And yeah. that's where most impact we have. And there's no point, like I see so many of the public called the talking head climate guys and the environmentalists that are the, the usual suspects that show up on, on your radio and television every week with the same message. And it's this kind of, we're going to fight the farmers where we're over here and we're doing the right thing. And the farmers are the bad guys. Not true and not how to go about it. I mean, I mean there, there's cowboys in every profession. Yeah, and there's farmers out doing, some farmers out there doing, and we see them and we call it out. But there's equally a lot of good guys and there's a lot of people trapped in a, a system that they've been, they've been sold by billionaires that want to make money. You know, so yeah. we're, I'm part of that is talking to those people and engaging with those people and not setting them up as the enemies because they have a huge role to play in this. But what I, what I always say is like, what we have to do is we have to take it seriously. And that's that's from a, a monetary point of view as well. If you, you're asking a farmer to give up some of his land where he makes, and most of them are on very little income. They have second jobs to, to actually allow them to keep the land, you know. And if you're asking a farmer to give up some of his resources to save nature, he needs to be well paid for it. Yeah. And he needs to be paid on an equivalent that he's going to be paid for churning out beef and dairy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite a simple concept. And there's money there for it if we want to. There's huge amounts of money come into that space that are just wasted, go to the wrong places. Um, when it comes to the, your farmer schemes, it goes to um, people that, uh, what's the word? They, they advise, the farm advisors, they've got their fee every time. The farmer's not getting the money. It comes to nature schemes. There's not enough going into it. And right. I know this is a bit heavy, but it is the crux of the, the issue because I've, I talked to um, 40 low-income farmers a couple of years back down in Wexford, and I said to would you, if I had a specific payment, so if I could get you that payment to put in a, a an organically grown meadow, your old traditional wildflower meadow, and you could put sheep on it over the winter, and you could or take a cut of hay off it in, in at the end of the summer, would you do it? And every single one said yes. Yeah. Some of them said, I'd turn the whole farm over to it. Yeah. So they, but there's the farm representatives don't want you to hear that because we're not producing beef, we're not producing dairy, which is the crux of what's gone on with bees and wildlife. We've taken their habitat away. It's just mm-hmm. gone. And um, then, of I, course, the people making fertilizer and pesticide, they're not making any money if you're doing that. With, so they're not happy. If you go on to, if you go on to some of the, the big chem or big ag <laughs> websites, there's one specific, and you swear they were the people saving bees. Yeah. And they're the ones killing yeah. bees, but they've, they've set up the go in here. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's just so transparent. They don't even try. The messaging was an, um, an IFA, supposedly ecology or, or nature meeting here a couple of years, locally, a couple of years. I, I'm a member of the IFA because we have a farm. And I went along. It's the first one I'd attended. And my mouth dropped open after five minutes what was going on. It was, it was about climate and there was some top guys there. And I just realized there, and there was farmers there, and like it's smart guys, you know, and mm-hmm. someone with big. And I just realized that they're just been sold down to Swanee. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not the mess because the messaging is we need to produce more beef. We need to produce more dairy. We're, we're going to fight every action on climate. This was the message. Like it's a war and they were bringing their expert in from America to give their slant on things. And I was sitting there going, this is like, this, like you're smart guys. You've got kids. You know, you've got grandchildren. You've got family. I mean, I'm even up here. I mean, last I think it was last summer, summer before I was walking through one of our fields here and I heard our neighbor who's a lovely guy a gentleman lovely farmer and i heard about the field i was just walking up to see what he's doing and i was halfway across my field and i had glasses on and i got spray in my eyes from he was out spraying the crops and this was like 300 meters we, we smell it in the yard here like we're we're half a half a kilometer from any from any boundary you know well from that boundary anyway and Claire Weiss just got to said this just just didn't know what was in that what, what we spraying and he sent over and the labels on it said didn't just said likely to cause cancer not even like suspected of you know 
And this was a fungicide that he was spraying on a crop that was ultimately to feed cattle. And and I'm going, there was one of four in the mix. And my response is like, you're spraying yourself. You're, the, 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 the local school is literally 100 meters away. And you're a smart guy. What, like, and I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a conversation that's hard to have because you're kind of telling them, listen, what you're, you're killing yourself. What are you yourself. doing? Yeah. For, for billionaires and for meat exports, you know, and for, for dairy. What's the thinking behind that? What, like, what, it, it just doesn't make sense to us. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, and I understand they have to, they, they have to have an income. They what they want. They, they deserve an income like everyone else. But it's, it's how do you go and what are you willing to, to, I mean, I mean we found out asbestos was bad for us. It was banned. Mm. Should, and, and we have to feed, but there are ways. They, they don't want to explore how we can do it differently because we're set and that's the way, that's the, that's the system that we've, we've been tied into. And we need to, we need to disrupt that system. And I don't realize I'm not talking proto. We need to go in and gently disrupt it and talk to people and get people to realize and seek out the alternatives. But we need to do it quickly. That's the yeah. thing. We haven't got decades to do this. Where, I mean, I spoke to a, a, an academic here years ago and I was told we're losing bees at a rate of 5% per annum. That's that's coming from an expert and academic, so I'll take that as that that must be the truth. Yeah, I trust them, yeah. but it's it's it, it's just, that's a scary prospect. And so every year we don't do something, and it's well, I get that people are busy. I mean, we've got um, our healthcare systems in a state. People are trying to cover mortgages, the, the cost of living crisis, and all. Like, the, so the first thing that always goes is nature. People don't yeah. talk. You know, it's it's one. Well, oh, we can do without that. We come back to that, and no, we can't come back to it anymore. We're like we're in serious trouble. I mean. 40% of pollinators worldwide are in trouble. Uh, I think it's one third of our pollinators in Ireland are, are bees in, are in trouble. Um, I th- there was a study came out of Germany um, over, I think it was a 26-year period from the 90s up to just recently on animal nature reserves, um, 76% decrease in flying insects by mass. And this is on nature. So we know we're in trouble. It's what are we going to do about it? Yeah. That, that's the, you know, and we, and we need to do something about it. We can't just say, listen, Sweep it off to one side. We'll mm-hmm. come back to it. It's going to be gone. And if it goes, I know. I think you, see you had Dave Gilson on on recently. Yes. On, on Dave's a good guy. He's, very, he's one of the only um, academics I'd have respect for because he will actually sh- say it. Like we've, yeah. we've we've talked to others who who saying the opposite because of who who who's who's um, funding university not now. But Dave will actually say it, and I have complete respect for for that. He'll come out and say to tell you the yeah. truth. Yeah. And, we can stick our head in the ground about it. And it's really tough to deal with. And it's really, and from us, from our point of view, I, mean, I sometimes almost wish I'd never realized. Because once you realize, you can't go back. Yeah. We do. So therefore, we must, we have to do something about it. Um, mm. And that, that's what it is. But like I say, we, we, farmers are a big part of this. But it, it's it's getting the right people to talk to them in the right manner about the right things. Yeah. I mean, Claire Weasel's dad was a farmer. And um, she didn't. They did, never touched the hedgerows. Hedgerows. They. Um, yeah. She can't remember the tracks through the fields where they're spraying. You know, three, four times a year. It was a gentler way of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. It can be done again if we could even cut back. It would make a huge difference if we could go back to what we were doing in the seventies. We. It, so it's only been the last fifty years that we've really affected up. And I'm using using a light a light <laughs> turner for it. Yeah. You know. But I mean, even talking to older farmers, they remember what it was like. Yeah. They, they know. Like they know what's wrong, they mightn't be willing to step forward. I mean, we we have one neighbor here who kind of, at one stage, kind of I was, I was talking to her and she goes, "We support what you're doing." She was actually whispering in her own yard, "I don't want, I don't want to be seen, but we're supporting." And I'm kind of going, "Okay, <laughs> thank you." You know, and because yeah. I say, we're, but like I say, if I see a guy spreading slurry in the period when he shouldn't be, I mean, we've we've seen them here. I've recorded them here basically while the ground was sopping wet mm. and covered in ice, out spreading slurry, and I'll get some. 
put it up on social media and not for clicks, but it's just to make people in urban areas aware of this is what goes on because people have no yeah. idea what's on in the countryside. It's kind of like what, what goes on in the countryside stays Steve. in the countryside, <laughs> but it does it affects everything. And I'll have someone on on social media from a guy from Kerry Farm from Kerry going, no, no, that's not happened. That's okay. That ground's fine. <laughs> There's certain cohort of farmers that circle the wagons and they, they just make themselves look like cowboys yes. by doing it. I mean, I mean you, what you got to do in any industry is is call out the guys that are doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, just people are doing it wrong. In, in, in every industry, in every profession there are. So we call them out and we say, and that makes yourself look better as an industry because we're willing to say, listen, that shouldn't be done. And, and instead, of, there's just a blanket. No, it's not happening. But you didn't do much mm. what you're doing in front of you isn't happening. <laughs> you know, that's just, you're making yourself. I don't even get into it. What we do is we just put our truth and the facts as best we can out there. Don't defend them. That's what that's yeah. what we see on the ground. That's what we live. You can disagree with me. You can. I'm not interested. I'm just that's what's happening, and that's what yes. we see. As well as advocating for nature-friendly farming, Paul says he's available to help people with any bee-related questions. And he explained why the presence of honeybees can threaten native wild bees. Our name and our telephone number are on our website. So you can try to have someone the other day. I was, on a, I was on a call, a business call to do something we're doing here. And I saw the phone ring and I, I couldn't answer it. And then there was a message from someone who was a queen bee had, was in her kitchen and she wanted to know what she was doing the right thing. So as soon as I got off, I rang, rang, rang her back and had a 10 minute conversation. The outcome of it is we, she might be able to save the bee. It's, it's come out at the wrong time. or whatever. But at the end of it, she went away feeling positive. And she talked to someone who knew a little bit about it and could, could advise her, you know, because we're, we're seeing bees coming out. Not here yet, because we're, we're, we're at quite a height as well. So we're hearing people all over the place going, the bees are out now. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a, one thing we like we hit across here. I was, I was actually out in one of our polytones um, a couple of years back and there was a bumblebee trapped. And it just kind of struck me that she was a queen bee and it was spring. And if you save that queen bee, if you save one queen bee, that's possibly a nest. If she's successful, sets up a nest, right? So if that nest has 10, produces 10 queen bees at the end of the season, next year that's saving one queen bee has created 10 new nests. And that goes on the following year, it's 100, the following year, it's 1,000, the following year, it's 10,000. So saving one queen bee. And when you hear, on, like we say, you know, people are, they, they hear a queen bee dropped on their window in their house, they kind of go, oh, I'll, be, I'll get to that later. I'm busy. Yeah, yeah. And get her out. She's only got 20 minutes to get back to if she's, if she's, if she's only got so much energy for a start right. in, in her. And then if she's got, if she's sitting on her eggs, which they have to do to keep them warm at, in, in, in spring, if she doesn't she get, back get back in time, the nest fails or possibly fails. So it's really important to get, get them out. So people, how do you save a bee that you find? Open the window. Like if, if it's just on your window and yeah. it's fine, don't don't grab her. Like you can you can offer like crawl onto your finger. Offer, I always to... I put them in a glass with the thing. Is that okay? And then you just woo, fly away. Once you're gentle, but they'll find like they'll, you'll find a lot of time they'll if depending on how calm they're how they'll, they'll, they'll crawl onto a credit card. If you get a leaf, they'll crawl onto just open the window, get them outside. And um, people kind of say if they, they'll see them on um in the spring, you'll see them on the ground. You'll yes. see graduate something go. They need to be rescued. A lot of the time they do, but a lot of the time they don't because they, they take they spend a lot of time resting okay. on the ground. What we say is if you see if it's not in immediate danger, leave it there for about an hour, fifty minutes, an hour to see if it move if she moves on herself. And um, if she doesn't, then or if she's in danger, get her to a flower initially and just put her on a yeah. flower, really gently, and see if that doesn't work. If she's like the yeah, energy's got too too far gone, if it's not the right flowers, fifty fifty white sugar and water mix just offer to her, and you'll find. She'll take a drink and usually in five minutes fly off. Don't give them honey because honey can, people immediately go, bees, honey. Yeah. Get 
um, honey can have it can we can have pathogens in it that can be um, dangerous to be not all the time, but it is not worth the risk. The, the white it's not brown sugar, just white sugar and water, fifty fifty mix, more water than sugar if anything, yes. and just offer it to them, and you find that helps them. So that, that's a really, a really simple thing. And then that leads me on to honeybees. Did I mention honey? Yes. Why honeybees are part of the problem, not the solution? Yeah. Um, what's that? You got a lot set up their their um their you see business set up and their what they're doing is they're going around they're advocating for telling um the business community to put honeybee hives on the roof of their, of, of their buildings and on their premises because it'll help save the bees um not true they're a kept species and um, they're a farmed animal um it's like saying um i want to i want to save wolves and get yourself a chihuahua it's <laughs> not relevant you know what i mean that it's um if you take honeybees a healthy honeybee hive during the summer can have 50, 60,000 bees in it. But say taking a hive with 30,000 bees, even if one third of them are out foraging, that's 10,000 bees out foraging. Each of those bees can make up to 1,000 flower visits a day. So if you take 10,000 by 1,000, you've got 10 million flower visits a day from one hive. Now that's fine. I and mean, we're not, we like, we're not, we're not. Yeah. But is that then competing with the wild bees? That's the issue. That's the issue. Yeah. yeah. But to land that into an urban area. It's competing with like bumblebees. Um, the, the studies coming out now showing that bumblebees are actually doing very well in urban areas because people are growing more flowers in their garden. And mm-hmm. um, compared to there's a lack of flowers in in the countryside now because of the way farming's gone and what we've taken. So, and then you're sticking in this hive that's got to compete with those bees. So that's yeah. fine. But then, are you going to provide 10 million flowers, nectar, and, and from? So and then people kind of go and there, and we even see there's there's um nature reserves and people that are basically advocating for nature and they're putting hives on the nature reserves and it, it it's there's no place for honeybees on a nature mm-hmm. reserve and the, we've been on sat on stuff in the uk with experts who will all go listen there's absolutely no place there's no need for them mm-hmm. it's, it's not natural for them to be there and especially like one hive you'd be people like with eight ten hives so the, the, the amount of bees and again we're not we're not a huge amount of beekeeping fraternity we follow us and like our messaging we just look for a little bit of honesty around it and let people make their mind up then. So if we, we people don't keep hives, keep flowers. Yes. It's as simple as that. If you go to, you like around here, and we, if it's not a flower, you won't see it. If not a bee, a hoverfly or a butterfly. And you know, so it's, it's a secret yeah. flower. And trees come into it as well. People people tend to think of saving bees. It's about these meadows, trees and woodland are very important for early flowers and for where they, where they, willow trees are just amazing for them. Yeah. I mean, and willow trees are so often in the countryside seen they're they're seen as a weed or sallies, you know, they're they're and they're mm. just taken out without thinking about it. And we just go, Oh Christ. I mean they, they they sustain so they're the second best tree for sustaining wildlife. And basically they're just seen as weeds and they're just and they grow so quickly. We're at the moment we're putting in uh with Clarence here, we're putting in a um a, a wooded area and it's primarily willow because it's it's a vital source mm. of early forage for bees in, in, in springtime. The early bees, your your solitary bees as well, you see them on the on the willow catkins. And it's so vital for them. And it's just an amazing, amazing plant. And people just go, it's a weed. It's not, it just gets, it's like wasps. It gets bad press. Yeah. That's, you know, so, and it's, it's just, it's getting that across to people. Um, just very simply. And I suppose not berating them for doing the wrong thing, but saying, listen, we understand you've been told mm-hmm. the wrong thing. Um, that's the truth. And I, sometimes it's easy, you know, you know, we you're kind of pulling people up on something you've made a mistake. And you don't, you don't want to make them feel silly by what we kind of, we kind of, you kind of have to be strong. So, you know, I'll, I'll take the, the look and we'll, we'll just tell them anyway. Paul mentioned Clarence there. And I asked him about their partnership. And then this led on to talking about a major problem for wild bees, which is that the plants sold in garden centers, uh, DIY shops and supermarkets are very often pre-treated with pesticide chemicals, which actually makes those plants, the flowers, poisonous to bees, even though they may be labeled as bee friendly. We're doing some really good work with Clarence to some specific um, initiatives on the sanctuary over the last couple of years, which have been really, really good. 
and they have genuinely engaged. They've come down to learn. They've, they're, they're, they've been they're coming down planting trees here next week, and their um, ethos for the start has been about nature. I mean, they're they're plant based um, company, um, and it, it's it's been it's been healthy. I mean, they, we we get to go up to their their new spa in Dublin, their store, and talk to people that we wouldn't talk to that wouldn't necessarily be. And then we go up and we entertain and we, but we get the message across because mm. I, thought I was going to go and, you know, I did really listening. There was someone there from Irish Country Magazine, the editor, and I was talking about how plants um, that you buy in garden centres are, that even be friendly, they're more than likely pre treated. Mm. Yeah. And that got into her piece on it. You know what I mean? And it's because it's, if I sat there and showed them a slideshow and said, listen, and talked to them through all the, they'd go, no, but it's because I just kind of said it the way I said mm. it. Just notice. And, and the way you dissolve it is tell people because if people, Pete was Pete when it comes to the horticulture industry. Everyone and Pete is the is the like the bad thing, but the dirty little secret is actually what they're what they're putting on their plants that that selling to friendly. You know, and then then Dave Goulson did a study on that in the UK. That's where we came across. It was about six years ago. The, the paper was there from Dave, who's the guy, right? Yeah. And what we say to people is, listen, did you notice? And most people go, Jesus, I didn't know that. And then they go, so what do we do? We go, go and source organic, plant swap, grow your own. At the very least, when you go into the garden centre. Ask them and say, listen, our, you know, what you'll find is you go into a garden centre or uh, like your DIY store and you pick up the plants, you, you go to the counter and you ask the, the person at the counter, are these pre-treated or pre-treated with chemicals? And they go, I don't know. And could you find out? And they go off and they'll talk to somebody back and go, um, not here. And then you go, where were they treated before you bought them in? I don't know. And what you, it always comes back, yes, they were. Not a, maybe, it's it's always, you know. And then, then on a Saturday with your kids or, or whatever, they go there and say, listen, we're going to put some beef for any plants in the garden. You go down to the DIY centre, bring them back, put them in, then find out, spend your 100 euro or whatever, put them in, then find out afterwards that, oh, they, they, were, they, were, they were the right thing. You're less likely to go and do it again. Yeah. Let people afford to do it, inform people so they can make that choice. Just as simple as that. And we, we, we've never had anyone go, oh, we didn't want to know that. Exactly. They say... But I was and they're so disappointed because they're saying I was trying to do the right thing. I thought I was doing a good thing. And it's not fair on people to let them do that and not have it be right. And again, it's one of those things. Once you're aware, you can't just buy them going, well, I'll pretend in my head that they're fine. <laughs> you know, and that's it's it. Also, but we see the, like the positive side of telling that negative side of it is it opens up an opportunity for people to set up little micro businesses in communities, in towns, in villages to grow the plants organically or without chemicals. And and therefore you're supporting locally, you're creating employment locally instead of buying them in from Holland or wherever else they're coming in from and they're pre-trap where, you know, the big, these big, huge nurseries. And you're creating local employment for local people that you can trust, that you can walk in and say, listen, you don't know where your plants are coming from. And yeah. and also more likely to be grown. But we, we always say, like people say, what can I do in my garden? I say, well, one, if you can just sit back and see what comes up naturally in the seed back there, because it's going to be um, what evolved with bees in that area. And that's, that's the right thing to do. And like to, to keep it local. So if, you, if you've got people growing local, they're more likely to keep it local. Like you know, they say, if, what, right. look, if you look around, what's growing in if there's any hedgerows left? And what's growing <laughs> around you in your area? Look, wait and see, and just take that. If you want this immediate, um, we say, yeah. If you want the immediate fix, make sure you buy untreated seed. But but if you can wait and to see what comes up in your garden itself, mm-hmm. and be that with page, you'll be amazed what comes up. Yeah, we we see here in areas we've left, even our areas we've left accidentally because we couldn't get back to. And we had an area in the house where it was um, it was it was gravel and builder rubble and that, and I had to put a pipe in a couple of years ago and didn't get back to fill it back in. And so I left a pile of literally kind of sand, gravel, a little bit of soil, and it's about two foot tall and south facing behind the house. And that's where we have a huge amount of solitary bees nesting now. So I can't touch that. You know, we're, <laughs> we won't touch it. And we just go like, we'll make a feature of it. You know? And that's where we go out and we just 
just solitary bees all over this small little pile. And so it's as simple as that. You know what I mean? It's, 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 uh, but you got to kind of know the things that you got to know, like make sure it's kind of south facing and sheltered yes. for yourself, which mm-hmm. are why we have with a lot of bumblebees here and where the whole farm is kind of north facing. If the sun hits there where they're hibernating too early and I get a, a really sunny day in early February or January yeah. and they might wake up. Whereas if it's north facing, that's less likely to happen. So they, they'll just stay longer. One thing I always come back to is what we if you look at a, at a, community at a, an ecosystem if you make sure the weakest link in that ecosystem or that community is is fine and okay and has what it needs to survive everything else will be okay but you know from the bottom that it starts it, it it's like it, it falls over so yeah. we need to look at and it might not be bees but like we be players like we make it all right for bees which was born born out with what, what happens with barn owls with us last year we've had barn owls here for years and we just let the bees like we've got barn owls great we see them every now and again and that's that's it you know and last year we let guys in to put up a, a, a nesting box in our in our hay shed, and within three days it was occupied, which was unheard of. And the, the barn owl expert um, was kind of really really excited. It's the quickest, you know. And to us, it was just like, yeah, what's going to happen? But we know, like, we're here. Got like, nature there because of the bees and everything. You've got all other nature is coming yeah, back. And yeah, I'm saying it did. Like, so we 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 we'll put out this like, if we save bees, we save the future. You go, oh, don't be so stupid. And we go, no, if you actually think about it, if we get it right for bees, we get it right for our other insects. And it's not a one size fits all, like, but you can squeeze the foot in is what I say. Like, you, you know, it'll, if you get it right for bees, you're the right thing by, na- by bees. It'll, it, it's right for your small mammals. It's right for your birds. I mean, we've with, with the barn owls now, um, Claire Louise was out kind of babysitting because 70% of them perished within the first year and mm-hmm. it was four outlets and they were falling out of the box and had they been they would have been gone but we should have up there literally every night we were putting them back in and making sure they're okay and we fledged four successful um, outlets and we're putting up a couple of boxes this year as we began to wrap things up i asked paul what message he'd like people to take away from our chat let it go wild um let your grass grow um they do no more may we kind of go that's fine but then if everyone goes out and cuts their grass at the end of may it's full of insects it's full of so too soon june leave it high july just keep just keep the grass as long as you can you know and it, it's let your your thistles are amazing for bees your dandelions are vital early on and um, knapweed scabious cornflowers any of the, the native wildflowers chives um, herbs and um, we, we tend to always push people towards the, the wildflowers rather than your, your garden flowers um, because we, we think they need to be really really come back in as soon as you start mm-hmm. talking about garden flowers people kind of know that that's what they go to so we kind of just we keep our messaging on so it's it's your wildflowers it's it's what people call weeds give them a chance yeah. just give them a chance yeah. and, and be a little bit brave because when when you sit out there we've had so many people come back to us and go um especially on social media listen i took your advice and i let the garden go wild why didn't i do this years ago just to sit there and listen to the buzz you know it's back people gotta understand within that too is there'll be times of the year where it's not pretty yeah. not supposed to be you know what i mean, I mean yeah. it's not like we got people like out blowing leaves under leaves but we leave leaves here and yes what's under it you see the blackbirds in flipping them up and imagery <laughs> up on social media and people just love it with a blackbird flipping up and you can see them taking the worms and that and that's 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 what it's supposed to be and it's lovely people go out and they, they get so much from gardening from a mental health point of view and everything else and satisfaction but not saying not have your garden Let's let's have nature as well. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be both. But if 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 it's neither our situation, well, we need to go for nature. We're at that stage where we have to do what we have to do to let to make sure things survive. It's not really a choice anymore. Um, we 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 can't control. I mean, I I admit uh, when we came here first, I mean, I I had to go and buy a tractor and learn how to drive it and do all the things on it. And we used, when we were getting ready for. We planned, we'd, we'd reseeded the place for when we went organic and I used to keep it cut like down to down to get off after on the tractor for hours. Think, wow, look at that as a man. Look <laughs> what, 
And now, look, now if I have to get on and cut a pathway through it for people to be able to walk through, I'll get up nearly crying. So I'm looking at the insects. I know what it does. It's that connection. And it, it's, and it, it is amazing, like I say, what, what happens and if people just let it in. And, but it's, it's getting the messaging to people to let them yeah. get them to let it in. That's, and, and, and to be brave enough and to support them when they're doing it. And that's what we, we try and do. And a lot of what I'm saying to you here, I mean, I, I always come on, on podcasts and webinars and go, I'm, I'm just going to keep it nice. I'm going to talk about the. <laughs> Then I go, ah, oh, Jesus. Oh, no, I whipped again. <laughs> As the tagline on their website says, we are the best future here in the present. And I would really encourage you to visit their website and see the amazing photographs by Claire Louise Donnellan, all taken at the Bee Sanctuary and showing the beautiful variety of wild plants and insects that we have in this country, if we just let them live and grow. Feel free to get in touch with Paul on any of the social media platforms. He's not just bee-friendly and nature-friendly, but also a genuinely friendly guy. That's it from me. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.